Welcome to Top Shelf Podcast. Today is Friday, September 2nd, and with me is Kevin Allen. Kevin, can you taste it? Hockey is almost here. Well, I can feel it in the air, literally, because in <laughs> Michigan now it's a little bit cooler. The nights are uh, cold. I've uh, already made uh, my arrangements to, to go to World, Truck, World Cup training camp and then off to Toronto for an extended stay there, and I'm already thinking about which training camps I would like to go to when I'm done with uh, the World Cup. So, you know, uh, even though we haven't started, it feels to me like we have. It's going to be great. You're going to be out there in uh, Columbus starting on the 5th, right, in a few more days? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, right out of the chute, there'll be some questions. Uh, um, you know, is it Jonathan Quick's net for the World Cup for America? Or um, will John Tortorella be a little open-minded in terms of opening up perhaps to a competition? If I had to guess, I would guess it's uh, Quick's net to lose. But if he doesn't look at his best, uh, you know, coming out of the chute, then I, I would think he would uh, – probably pretty quickly, um, you know, move uh, to the, uh, you know, Schneider or uh, Bishop. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that probably a little bit more next week. But as Kevin knows, today's setting up to be one of my favorite shows. I love looking beyond what I see with my eyes and even beyond the box score at the advanced stats and in discussing ideas for a guest on this show. Kevin and I agreed that it would behoove our listeners in more ways than one to have an expert in hockey analytics on the podcast. And today that would be Rob Volman the author of the popular Hockey Abstract and most recently StatShot, The Ultimate Guide to Hockey Analytics. Rob has co-authored 10 books on hockey stats and is one of my favorites in the industry. He's also active on Twitter at Rob Volman NHL. And StatShot provides a fun, easy to read, and informative guide to the numbers behind the sport. It applies the same level of statistical analysis to hockey that fans already enjoy in baseball, football, and basketball. And whether it's used for reference on leading-edge research and hard-to-find statistical data or for passionate and engaging storytelling, StatShot belongs in every serious hockey fan's bookshelf. But I must say, Rob, it's not on my bookshelf right now because I just got it in the mail a few days ago and it's already cracked it open and I started reading it. So how are you doing today, Rob? <laughs> I guess you're right. It shouldn't be on your bookshelf. It should be in your hands, right? It should that be... That opened up and on your desk, right? That is true. And you can buy the book online from Amazon and ECW Press or from your local bookstore. Rob, we appreciate Kevin and I. We always, like, as I said before the show started, we always have some kind of technical difficulties or we have to change time. So we appreciate your flexibility and we're, we're so happy for you to be on the show. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. And of course, congratulations on the great success of your podcast. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, excellent, excellent. I figured today Kevin and I will start the show just to explain even for our listeners where USA Today is with the advanced stats. I would have to say maybe a few years ago I got into them. And as an editor, I've prodded Kevin, who's been more than willing and open to using them in his stories. But we must say it's it's hard to inundate, inundate readers with a, a ton of numbers. You want to You want to express it and explain it in a way that even the average fan can understand. And that's probably, do you find that um, a challenge for you as well? In, in that you you have, I'm, I'm guessing you have a, a numbers background, right? So is it hard for you to kind of translate that into a way that even the average fan can understand? Yeah, it's something that uh, that's evolved over time. Um, maybe I was too clinical years and years ago, but over time I realized, uh, you know, 
what things were more interesting and how to phrase things in a more interesting way. And that's really some of the warmest praise uh, that I've ever received from my books is that they're fun. Um, I mean, they're not really books about stats. They're books about hockey that use stats. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, the priority has always been to, to be a good read, to be a fun way to spend uh, some time, a little real page turner. That's the, the top priority of any book. Definitely, definitely. And do you think, and I'll, Kevin can uh, take it from here, do you think we as the larger media are doing enough to educate the, the public and the average fan about analytics? And, I mean, you can be honest here, and how, how can we improve from, from your perspective? Well, I think the demand has grown very quickly because uh, for a few reasons. Number one, sports fans in general are used to getting a lot more stats, like in basketball and football and baseball. You know, and so when they watch hockey, if they're not getting enough statistical background, they feel like they're not getting enough information. They're not getting the real picture. Uh, they feel let down a bit. And the other thing, too, is uh, young people, uh, of course, use analytics very extensively. Uh, they have the technology to record data. They have the technology to share data, to access data. You know, it's the Wikipedia age where you can get all the information anytime you want it. And so when they watch a telecast or when they're listening to a game on the radio or following a story online, if they're not seeing that information, it's very easy for them to go somewhere else. And and uh, that's why I think it's uh, it's really important to adapt quickly and to find ways to get the right information to the listeners and the viewers and the readers. Uh, and uh, if I can play a little bit of a role in that um, by, by uh, helping to show how that's done, then uh, I've done my part. Uh, Rob, before we uh, delve into the numbers, uh, why don't we, we give our listeners a, a little bit of your background? Did you have a, a love of math and a love of hockey that you married together? Or how did you, what was the genesis of, of uh, what you're doing now? Well, my, my first passion, first and foremost, is hockey. I've, I've played it my entire life. Uh, I still, I'm still in the beer league today. Uh, you know, I, I play with uh, you know my nephew, and and uh, I just really love hockey. It's my first passion. It is for my entire family, uh, the communities that we live in. Uh, I'm Canadian, right? I'm from Ottawa originally. So my first and pas- my first and foremost passion is definitely hockey. Now that being said, I also have a very mathematical mind, and that also has been a lifelong thing. Uh, when I was uh, a little boy, when I was 10, other kids, they wanted to read comic books or play video games. I like to play with numbers. I like to count things. I like to calculate things. And uh, that's the way I've always been. And there's a lot of people like that. And uh, so I would say, yeah, in a way, it was a marriage between sort of the way I view the world and uh, my my hobby passion, which is hockey. Rob, I, Kevin, one, one quick thing, and you can – would you say, I mean, I don't really have an, a math background. Kevin doesn't really have a math background. But would you kind of say, and a lot of people look at, you hear hockey analytics, you hear advanced stats, and you kind of say, wow, you know, I don't have, I need to have a, a PhD in statistics to understand this. I almost think, can, can you explain to the viewers, it almost seems like a misnomer, the fact that we call it hockey analytics or advanced stats, when a lot of these numbers really aren't that complicated. I mean, I know you guys can get, complicated and more complex with some of these, but it's really not that difficult to understand. No, it's not. And in fact, that's why um, I don't use the term advanced stats because they're, as you said, they're not very advanced. A simple example is the Corsi statistic, which is sometimes called SAT uh, at NHL.com shot attempts. And, you know, it's got a, a, a clever name, and sometimes you see it being used in a clever way. But essentially, it's just a player's plus minus, except instead of using goals, it's shot attempts. I mean, what's so advanced about that? 
I like that. Let's let's jump right in if we could. And uh, you know, this summer, obviously, I'm sure you looked at uh, what every team did from a statistical perspective. Uh, you know, based on that, like, who did you think which team had uh, the best off season? Ooh, uh, let me think about that one. Well, I mean, like, I guess you could break it down to different areas. I mean, like, some teams really improved their goaltending. Uh, some teams really improved their blue line. Some teams really improved their special teams. Uh, and there's some teams that had a trade-off. For instance, the New Jersey Devils, by adding Taylor Hall, they really improved their uh, their scoring situation. But then by giving up Adam Larson, they might have exposed themselves defensively. So, you know, it's, it's hard to specifically answer uh, which team did the best job overall. Um, I, You know what? One of the things that's often overlooked, I'll give you one thing, because one thing that's often overlooked that you may not have heard in the mainstream analysis is coaching. Coaching, for whatever reason, is always ignored. It's always set aside. And yet it's one of the three biggest factors that can lead to a surprise season. Coaching, goaltending, and rookies. Those are the three things that can always screw up your predictions and catch you off guard. And Kevin, Kevin predicts always correctly, though. So, <laughs> If you read the original hockey abstract, though, I came up with a system to predict the standings. And uh, when it flopped spectacularly, I actually compared it to everyone's predictions, including yours, Kevin, every year's. And, and so I, I got to see if anybody <laughs> could predict the standings consistently. And nobody can, not even no, you. No, no. Well, for wow. sure. Well, I mean, I... I, I can't remember exactly, but it was years ago, and one of the Toronto papers, I think, used a, a dog or a monkey or something to predict the outcome of the playoffs. And I, I believe the dog or the monkey, uh, whatever it was, the animal finished pretty high in the standings uh, just from choosing teams based on uh, which where he took his treat from. So uh, it, it is a very, very difficult uh, situation when it comes to projecting what's going to happen in a sporting event. Absolutely, whether you use stats or not. And uh, usually when I get lucky, like this last year in the playoffs, I was 13-2 and two in my predictions. And everyone's like, wow, what a testimony for stats. I'm like, no, that's a testimony for luck. That was, uh, you know, um, I mean, I, obviously I, I try to do well, but 13-2 and two is just plain luck. But uh, when you look at coaching, just to complete that point, um, the Minnesota Wild, not only did they add Bruce Boudreaux as their head coach, but they also added John Anderson uh, on his staff. And I think that some teams might be overlooking just how improved that's going to make the team. That's going to add several points. And then, of course, add in the fact you got a guy like Eric Stahl uh, through free agency. Uh, I think the Minnesota Wild, for instance, are a, a team that isn't being it isn't being publicized. But I think they really did take a big stride in, in the right direction. Rob, can you uh, speak a little bit about the the luck factor in this because a lot of people I mean fans who don't who totally dismiss these hockey analytics or the uh, the alternate kind of numbers will say well you know because there's some there's quote unquote math involved that you should be perfect 100 percent but there's really a lot of luck involved in hockey and sports in general right absolutely in the first hockey abstract I haven't tried to quantify it. Uh, try to come up with uh, all the different ways that luck can impact the standings and then try to find a way to measure it. And I'll give you just some examples here. First of all, injuries, right? I mean, that's luck. Uh, you know, who gets injured, how long they're injured for. And we can measure that to an extent. Also, uh, things like your your record in the shootout. Uh, statistically, we found the shootout is, uh, well, it's not 
completely random, but it's not really related to how good you are at the game of hockey. It's like a skills competition. You might as well see you can do the most push-ups. You might as well have two goons slug it out. It's a skills competition. So essentially, it's not related to the regulation time standing. So that's luck in a way. Um, you've got things like uh, a team's record in one-goal games. I mean, you always get the bounces, and sometimes you don't get the bounces. But when they occur in the final minute, they can really have an impact on the standings. So there's an element of luck that you can compute in the team's uh, record in one-goal games. And there's other things as well, shooting percentages, save percentages, special teams play. We've managed to calculate how much random variation exists in each of these elements, add it all up, and get a rough overview of just how much luck is involved in the standings every year. Uh, in fact, if you go to my website, hockeyabstract.com, there's an online tool there, uh, tool there called the Team Luck Calculator, which lets you actually adjust some sliders and, and play with it yourself. And, uh, you know, you can sort of figure out for yourself which team may have had, might have had the most luck. Based on that, which team last season, you know, had uh, so much luck that you would be concerned about, uh, uh, you know, how they'll perform this season? Well, let me see. I'll go right there right now. And I write a bit a bit about this in the team uh, in the Hockey Abstract 2016 update. It's an update I make every year that just updates the stats from the previous books. Um, so let me see. Last year, the the luckiest teams. Okay, one team to keep your eye on is definitely the New York Rangers. For a few years now, they've been very good at avoiding injuries. Um, their shooting and save percentages have been very high. Their record of one goal games has been very high. So um, there's a team. There's a good example of a team that. Uh, I'm really concerned about, uh, although on the other hand, they've done a real 180 when it comes to the type of free agents they've been pursuing. In the past, they were pursuing players of, I think, relatively limited abilities. Um, this year, however, they've really, really pursued a number of depth forwards, like six or seven of them, that all have something positive to offer, who all have great numbers, and all of them at a discount. Even the players they re-signed, they got at a discount. So, uh, that might offset some of the expected collapse by the New York Rangers. Do you see that as, I mean, because I was going to ask you anyway, and this kind of leads into it. Do you see them, is it a is it a shift with Gorton up there? And do you see them now be, I mean, it used to be, I guess, in the past few years. I mean, I grew up in, in the New York area. It seemed like they didn't really even, they kind of didn't really care that much about that you know that the analytics and now it seems like maybe this offseason things have kind of changed which teams do you see as being the most and least progressive still with um, these numbers yeah definitely the rangers pulled a 180 here the last time i saw 180 was about two or three years ago the nashville predators were always um i think at odds with analytics and then all of a sudden all their moves were in perfect embracement with uh with analytics and uh there's another team, for instance, that could be on the upswing next year, the Nashville Predators. I mean, all their moves have been analytics friendly over the last few years. Um, but, uh, you know, by and large, I mean, historically, the two teams uh, that were best known for using analytics were Chicago and Los Angeles, which is one of the reasons why the use of analytics really caught on because of their, you know, quite considerable success. And a lot of teams have been following suit now. I mean, uh, Toronto, for instance, after their decline in 2014 was sort of ably predicted by the numbers. They uh, built a huge department of their own. A lot of teams are just hiring like one analytics guy, maybe just a blogger, maybe just a, a fresh grad. Uh, Toronto's done a lot more than that. They have a whole team under Kyle Dubas. Uh, another one, other teams that have done this as well, Washington hired a very prominent name. Um, uh, you know, Timothy Barnes is his name, and uh, th that might have played a role. Florida built an entire department as well. I think uh, that's helped them, you know, uh, as well go up the standings. 
you know, Carolina got Eric Tulski. That's another big name. You know, there's a lot of teams that have made bigger investments than just getting an analytics uh, blogger or just getting a grad student. There's teams making much larger investments and then uh, more importantly, listening uh, to those departments. With, with the uh, the movement toward uh, the use of uh, more uh, analysis of statistics, um, have there been a, a few stats that we've determined aren't as important as we thought they were? And what uh, statistics uh, do you see as the most important in terms of team building? Well, um, that's an excellent question. Uh, when you're building a team, uh, a lot of people think, assume that my answer is going to be shot-based metrics, like the Corsi one we mentioned at the top of the show. And you know what? When you're dealing with a team, you have enough data at this point, especially if you're looking over several years, which you should. Uh, if I've done, if, if I have a legacy in the analytics field, it's that you should look at several seasons, not just one. People have a, a mindset to look at only one year. You should look at several seasons um, at a time. Three is what I use in my books. But when you're dealing with teams, you're dealing with enough information. And if you're looking over multiple years, that the goal-based data becomes better. The reason you use the shot-based data is in smaller periods of time, goals are such random events. There's only like two or three goals per game, and yet a team's going to have 40 or 50 shot attempts. So it takes a long time for those relatively random events, for the breaks and the bounces to actually lead to meaningful goal-based data. But once you get there, goal-based data is better than shot-based data. So, you know, the most important stat has always been wins. And the stat that has the closest relationship to wins is goals scored and goals prevented. That makes those the ultimate stats. The reason we use shot-based stats is that sometimes you don't have enough data for the goal-based information to, you know, be useful enough. So you use the shots. But wins and goals always have been and always will be the most important stats. Rob, who do you see as being the more underappreciated players um, in the league because maybe the casual viewer doesn't realize they're that that they're great possession drivers or something or you know and or maybe they don't score 30 goals a season um who do you see as being some of the more underappreciated guys in the league um well yeah i mean driving possession i think is one thing that's it's not as undervalued as it used to be uh but there it still is i think slightly undervalued but there's other areas too like i mentioned coaches coaches i think are undervalued um these other other things as well like guys that can draw penalties let me serve up this question really just really quickly because there's someone in the league right now that is basically the Sidney Crosby of drawing penalties he's way better than everybody else and at the end of the year it adds up to several goals of value can you do you can you guess who I'm talking about uh Kevin let you go first <laughs> yeah um I would have thought it was uh, uh, Datsuk when he was uh, playing last season, but uh, um, now that he's gone, or, or was it? Did you, was this based on last season? Uh, well, it's not Datsuk. Oh, okay. But it's uh, based on any of the past few seasons. He's been a monster at this for years. Uh, I guess Patrick Kane. No. You see, that's just, if we were talking about great goal scorers, you guys would yeah. say a fetch kid right off the top of your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I said great playmakers, you'd say Crosby right off the top of your head. It would be no problem. Uh, Puck-moving defenseman Carlson, no problem. I ask you, who's the monster at, at drawing penalties? You have no idea. It's Nazem Kadri of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So there's a good example of, of an undervalued skill right there is drawing penalties. And there's others. In fact, in the book, you can read about it. 
Um, there's a lot of different areas uh, that uh, I think players are getting undervalued. And uh, overall, you know, the first chapter in StatShot is all about how to build a team using analytics. And there's even complete types of players that I think are undervalued. Like I, I think defensemen, certain types of defensemen are undervalued. You've only got six defensemen on your team. You got 12 forwards, and yet the defensemen are paid the same thing. Like a, a top pairing defenseman is getting paid the same as a top line forward. Well, let me tell you, what's going to hurt the team more, losing a, a top six forward or losing a top pairing defenseman? Uh, and yet they're, they're paid the same thing. So I think that, uh, you know, it, it, as there's a, if there's a type of undervalued player, it's that, that top four two-way complete defenseman. I think they're woefully underpaid and, and teams should be, uh, I think, capitalizing on that current situation, that current undervaluing of, of, of uh, top defensemen. I like the fact, Rob, that you also have played hockey all your life because I've often been struck by sometimes I've looked at statistics that that say one thing and prove one thing. And yet when I watch a player, um, my eyes tell me a different thing. And I wonder in, in, you know, your work, whether you've struggled at at all with that at all. Has there been a point when you've seen a player and you like the way he performs and then statistically you see that he's not quite the player that you thought he was? And and how do you explain that? Oh, I see that all the time. Um, A lot of people are surprised to learn that about 90% of the time a statistical analysis will line up with conventional wisdom. Um, the cadre is fun because it's an exception. But if you made, if I made a list of the best goal scorers and I used whatever stats I wanted, it would probably line up with exactly what Kevin would list just from watching the game, uh, 90% pretty much. But uh, there are, of course, a lot of exceptions. Um, just like if you talk to trainers, they would say, wow, these guys are so fit and so skilled, they're probably the best players. Or you would talk to you know different perspectives. Sometimes scouts say, wow, these players are a can't-miss blue-chip prospect, and they don't hit. So just like those other areas have a lot of misses, the stats world has a lot of misses. So we have to do the same thing as everyone else. If I see something that doesn't line up, I have to call the local expert. i got to call up Kevin. I'd say, listen, this is what my... This is what the numbers are saying. Doesn't seem to match up with what I see. What do you think? Uh, Or do you have an explanation? And that's when you can come back and you can say, well, listen, you don't know what's happening in the locker room. He's got issue A, B, and C. Or you might say, you don't know about his health issue. Or you might say, you know what? What you're missing that's happening on the ice is X, Y, and Z. That's happening on the ice, and you can't capture that. So that's what's happening. And then I can incorporate that into my analysis. So it's very important to have that attitude, whether you're a scout, whether you're a coach, whether you're a trainer, whether you're a statistician, is that you have to, you know, you have to balance what you learn because it's just one perspective. And you have to call the, the local experts and you have to, you know, get their, get all the information before you go out there and, and make a, a definitive judgment on a player. Kevin, a few more, then we'll wrap up. Yeah, cool. Uh, I got one. I got one question related to goalies. Are we? Do, do you? Uh, are we? Do we overrate goalies? And what do analytics say about them? And are teams paying too much for goalies? Yeah, that's covered in the book too. Uh, the um, we are paying too much for goalies, and the reason is the goalies in the NHL. You got sixty goalies with starters and backups, and that's the top 0.05% of all goalies in the world. Quite frankly, they're all amazing. They're all incredible. There's such parity in goaltending that you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money uh, to make a big difference. Whereas that same dollars will get you a much better forward or a much better defenseman. So essentially the reason you're paying too much is because you're getting just a small improvement 
because they're all great goalies. So because the parity is so close, but um, a great goalie will have a huge impact. Let me let me let me make that clear. But uh, the difficulty is actually figuring out just who are the best goalies. Unless you have Carey Price, and it's obvious, it's not always easy to figure out in advance whether you use stats or whether you use your eyeballs, which goalies are going to figure into you know, above average or really solid performances the next year. Is that kind of how you look at the Rangers? Longquist these past few years has kind of like masked their deficiencies elsewhere in a way? Yeah, no, Lundqvist is one of those exceptions because he's clearly an elite goalie, so you pay him what he wants. But most goalies don't fall in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you want some examples here, I mean, Calgary, in the past, they threw all this money at Jonas Hiller and and Kerry Ramo. This year, however, uh, they're spending about $4 million combined on Brian Elliott and Chad Johnson. And they'll probably do just as good, if not a better job, than Kerry Ramo and Jonas Hiller uh, for a lot less money. And they can use that money to get Johnny Goudreau and, and under contract and, and, and Sean Monaghan. So that's a wise investment. And, uh, you know, other teams, too. I mean, the Dallas Stars spent more than any other team on goaltending, and they had pretty much the worst goaltending in the league last year. So you don't need to spend big, big dollars. You can get really, really good goaltending at a discount. So And then you can use that savings on your blue line or on your forwards, where you know the extra few million is going to make a tangible, more predictable impact. Uh, speaking of uh, both Calgary Flames and Dallas uh, Stars, um, I just wondered what your opinion is of uh, save percentage statistic. Uh, you know, obviously the Flames uh, had the only save percentage below 900 last season, uh, and they were significantly below everyone else. And I wonder whether you see that as a luck statistic, or is there, uh, or does that say a lot in terms of uh, what's going on in the league? Yeah, there's a. Uh one chapter in the book is actually entirely on unraveling save percentage. It identifies all the different factors that affect save percentage uh, and explores them. I mean, all of them, and there's dozens, and uh, and then tries to adjust for them and account for them. And the number one factor that adjusts save percentage is, you're exactly right, it's random variation. And that's why you have otherwise consistent goalies who have their save percentages bounce around like ping pong balls throughout their entire careers, uh, because there is a lot of random variation in that. And but there's other factors, too, you got to look at. There's the there's the team that plays in front of them, that blue line. There's manpower, uh, you know, how much time in the power play and so on. There's the location the shots are being taken from. There's whether they are a screen, whether they're on rebounds, odd man rushes, you know, the quality of the shot. They haven't found, you know, unusual things like, for instance, say percentages go down on Sundays like there's a. It's it's amazing how many factors out there can have an impact on save percentage. One of the reasons, for instance, we discovered that backup goalies have lower save percentages is that they're normally assigned the back. You know, those back to back road games, they're normally given that number two game when the blue line in front of them is too tired um, to do their jobs as effectively. And that's usually your backup goalie doing that back to back road game, uh, the second game of that. And that actually drags their save percentage down a little bit. I've got two more questions if I can ask. I, I yep, want to I want to follow up on um, about the back-to-back games because you know it's so much fun for me because when I talk to a lot of the old timers, they just don't understand this occupation that we now have with uh, concern about teams having to play back-to-back. You know, when they played in the you know 70s and 80s, players loved back-to-back games. Uh, you know, uh, let's play every night was their, was their attitude. And I wonder if statistically um, what you've gleaned uh, about teams' performance levels on the second night of back-to-back situations. Well, that's covered more in the um, 2014 edition of Hockey Abstract. Essentially, uh, 
I mean, it's a, it's not huge, but it is a noticeable impact um, playing those back-to-back road games. Back-to-back at home isn't as noticeable. Um, but if you're on the road, those back-to-back games, uh, your chances of voting do go down in that second game. And it's usually not the goalie because usually you've got a, a fresh goalie in nets. Um, usually it's actually the blue line, which is another reason, by the way, by the way I've always advocated having a, instead of a 12-6 deployment where you have 12 forwards and six defensemen, I really think teams should be leaning more towards 11-7 or even 10-8. Um, because really that blue line can get very, very tired, especially if there's penalties, if there's overtime, if there's an injury of some kind. It helps to have extra defensemen, uh, especially those that can play forward if you need them. Uh, and why not? Because the fourth line usually doesn't play at all in the third period anyway. Well, and, and then my final question, uh, I'd like you to tackle the, the great debate that everybody had um, last spring when they had the vote for the Norris Trophy, when, you know, you have Dowdy versus Carlson, uh, two completely different defensemen uh, up for the Norris Trophy. And when you broke that down statistically, um, what conclusion did you reach on that? Well, when I was breaking it down, I was trying to look at the voting patterns. I was trying to guess who would get voted for rather than who is the best defenseman, because that's kind of a tricky question to answer, because right? it's all very contextual. Because uh, like you said, they're very different. The Vesna, however, is supposed to go to the best all-round defenseman. So the concern's always been, is Carlson, is Eric Carlson a good defensive defenseman? And my answer is, well, wait a minute, he's getting tons of ice time. I mean, Ryan Suter is pretty much the only defenseman in the league that gets more ice time. He's Ottawa's number one choice, even when they're protecting a, protecting a one-goal lead. Uh, he, he's used against top opponents. Even when Patrick Kane or Sidney Crosby is out there, Carlson's out there too. So if he was some, if he was a problem defensively, he wouldn't be out there all those minutes. He wouldn't be out there against top opponents. And furthermore, Ottawa wouldn't be better uh, in those situations. I mean, Ottawa's really two different teams when Carlson's out there and when he's not. So I don't have those same concerns. I don't have those same reservations about Carlson's defensive play. Obviously, he's not a shutdown guy like Drew Doughty. But um, I think his offensive game and the, the way that he just completely turns Ottawa around in terms of puck possession, I think all of those are very, very, very persuasive arguments in favor of Eric Carlson being the world's best defenseman right now. Rob, I'm curious, and we can wrap up with this one. I know the training camps haven't even officially started yet, but we're getting close. Do you have any predictions for this season? Which two teams are you looking at? Maybe not even which two are going to make the Stanley Cup, but which two teams and or maybe even intrigue you this year well this is also one chance to plug the hockey abstract 2016 <laughs> update uh it's a pdf i have on my website i update the stats from all the other books including Statshot, and i also have my team by team analysis i also have some world cup stuff in there so i really break down um all the different teams and uh but you know if there's a couple teams i got my eye on more than any others um you know it, like i said it's a pretty tight pack but there's a lot of teams that are sort of on the rise. You got to keep your eyes on. Um, I mentioned the Nashville Predators is one option, but uh, you know there's a, there's a few teams that are always dangerous. You know Washington is is always a dangerous team. Um, you know I think that's another team to continue to keep your eye on. Um, I know I think L.A. Uh, I mean they've really been whittled down. Uh, they're not as strong as they used to be, but they're still a, a team that I don't think you can look past. I, I can't remember if I actually made a Stanley Cup prediction in that book. If I did, I don't remember what it is. Um, but uh, uh, there's more detail in that in that PDF. <laughs> Excellent, Kevin. You got any more before we? Uh... 
No, but uh, Rob, this has really been enlightening. I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and it's really uh, nice to be able to get a uh, someone who has a, a different uh, perspective on watching the game, and and probably a more enlightened one than uh, a lot of us have, just because you bring both elements uh, uh, to bear, and the rest of us are, are just trying to sort of sort through uh, the new way of viewing the game, which you know, as, as you say, really is isn't new. It's just a, a, a different way to apply um, statistics, and uh, I. I've always enjoyed it uh, in in terms of uh, being able to see the game differently. Well, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. And uh, first and foremost, uh, yeah, like you said, this is just another way of looking at the sport. It's not for everybody, but uh, if you want to catch up and if you want to, uh, if it is of interest to you, then uh, I th- I'm hoping that Stat Shot will be a, a fun read. Yep, yep. We each, Kevin and I, each have our. Uh books on the way i don't know if you got yours yet did you get yours yet kevin no not yet but i'm really looking forward to it after this conversation excellent excellent we, rob we really appreciate you joining us today and i'm sure we'll, we'll definitely get you on maybe mid-season a little mid-season update what do you think kevin yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I think uh, a lot of hockey fans are catching on with this, so it'd be really, I think, appropriate to to get him back on if we can do it. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks a lot for joining, Rob. All right. Thanks, guys. No problem. That will about do it for the Top Shelf Podcast for Friday, September 2nd. Kevin and I will check in next week, and he'll be at a World Cup training for uh, Team USA. Is that right, Kevin? Yep, absolutely. Cool. Excellent. Talk to you next week.